viral and things continue to get worse, we need lots of gospel-trained people out there. So that's what our church wants to be about. And the other, so, so we're going to talk about context is king and, and um, let scripture interpret scripture. And what, what does it mean to, to, to have a, a right hermeneutical approach? And even like Taylor shared in the video, what is expository preaching and why is it important? And all of those pieces are going to come together. But we're going to do it from the perspective of what are the questions that, our, that the skeptic culture is asking. So that one, we can be better trained as we're out there engaging. But two, so that you can invite people in. This would be a great series for us to, um, for you to invite. If you have friends that you've been engaged with, coworkers, classmates, um, just people in your neighborhood, that maybe you sense that they're asking questions about God, but they're just very skeptical or cynical about what they've seen in the culture and the, even in the church culture, this would be a great series. I'm not going to read it all to you, but the topics are on the back, right? And then, and then to make it even more discussion-oriented, on Wednesday nights, we're going to actually meet here and, and give you an opportunity to ask even more questions about each of those topics. So I wanted to point that out. I want to just encourage you to be praying about who you can invite into the, these conversations, whether it's inviting them in here on Sunday, inviting them on a Wednesday night, or just inviting them around your kitchen table and you talking to them about the things we're talking about, because that's the goal of the series. So one of the, one of the things that the series is all, it's all centered around a list of questions. So I'll ask my first question today. It's not the first talking points, but just if I were to ask you, like, what is the gospel, what would we say? What is the gospel? I just said that word a bunch of times in my prayer. What is it? The good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's the, like, that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose, rose again for you. That, that, that God saves sinners. There's lots of ways that we could articulate the gospel. In fact, Paul took 11 chapters of ways to articulate the gospel in this, in this series that we've been in since, last, since the beginning of last year that we're calling Righteousness Revealed in the Gospel of Romans. Even though Romans is not traditionally called the gospel, I, or a, one of the gospels, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would say Romans is the best of the five. And, and it's because it is the most detailed account of what does it mean to be saved. So you say, he takes 11 chapters in Romans going, here's what the gospel is. And then in Romans 12 through 16, it's here's what the gospel does. He takes three chapters to talk about here's what the gospel is. And then there are other places like in, first, in, in, sorry, in Ephesians. And then in, in places like 1 Corinthians, he uses a couple of verses that Jesus came according to the scriptures, that he died according to the scriptures, that he rose again according to the scriptures, that he ascended on high. Like that, he does that in a couple of verses in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So there are multiple ways to communicate the gospel. I would, I would venture to say, and one of the things I'm going to really miss about Rome is that I'm excited for our new series, like, like, like super excited for what it's going to do for us. I I'm also frankly excited to get out of Romans. Like I, I start to get like, oh, okay, Romans still, come on, Paul. But I will miss Paul a lot. Like I feel like I've gotten to know him way better through this, through this year and a half long wrestle. And I'm going to miss him a little bit. Right, because I mean, we'll be back. We'll see him again, but um, but not in Romans. But if I if, if Paul could st- could be here in my little stool, and I could say, Hey, Paul, what if if you could in in the book of Romans, how would you summarize the gospel in in a sentence, not in eleven chapters? I think what Paul would say is peace with God. I think he would say the gospel is peace with God. And, it's, and if you think about how we started, and, 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 and next week I'll, I'll probably kind of wrap up the whole thing by summarizing all of Romans, so I'm resisting the urge to do that right now. But how the whole thing in Romans starts is Paul talking about how we're enemies of God. 
how we're all rebels. And then ultimately he brings us to this place of acknowledging that we have peace with God. Because he is, and, and then he's going to take us to this place in these chapters that we're in now, talking about, so how do we make that gospel, how do we make the righteousness of God real in a world that really needs to see it? So before we get to our passage that we're going to be in today, which is in chapters um, 14 and 15, turn back to Romans chapter 5. Because as people that have by the gospel's power, have now have peace with God, we are commanded to be people of peace. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 10, way early in his ministry, when he's sending out his disciples to, to just go out and tell people about him, he says, here's how you do it. You go to a house, you knock on the door, you say, peace be to this house. If a person of peace is there, meaning a person the Holy Spirit is, is, um, is stirring, if a person of peace is there, God's peace will land upon him. But if, if the person rejects the gospel, that's not, that has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what the Lord is doing in that person's life. Then, the, then your peace, your message of peace will return to you. So this idea of being a person of peace isn't a Pauline idea. It's actually a Jesus idea. He came that we might have peace. Right? And that ultimately that peace is peace with God. So look at Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2 because this has to be our motivation for everything that we looked at last week, this week, and next week. Our motivation has to be these two verses. So in Romans 5, chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, so in light of all the, 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 the first four chapters were all about the, our rebellion and God's promise, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been made right by faith, we have peace, we have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we're going to come, and Paul's going to, so the reason I wanted to start us there is, one, that has to be our motivation. Two, Paul's going to bring that back. He's pulling this Romans 5 argument forward when he comes to us in Romans 14 and 15. So um, with that, they'll turn to your talking points. The talking points is on the back of your bulletin insert. It sort of is our discussion time. And so the first talking points question goes along with this idea of how do, we, um, how, how do we better understand that we are to be a people of peace? Did you know that there is no neutral indifference with God? Every person who has ever lived has been an enemy of God. And some of you are sitting in this room right now, or you're hearing my voice online, and, and, and just that phrase, that you are an enemy of God, makes the hair on the back of your neck bristle. I'm not an enemy of God. I've never rebelled against God. We need to talk. Right? Like, and I'm not saying that flippantly. I mean, I know what that's like. I spent the first half of my life as a God-mocking atheist. I get it. That feeling of, one, there, maybe there isn't a God, and if there is a God, I, must, I mean, he must be happy to have me on his team. But that's not all of us are enemies of God. That's not his doing. He didn't make us enemies. That's our doing. But here's the truth. He made us friends. It says that the beautiful truth in Christ is that we have perfect peace with God. I just read it in Romans 5. So here's the question. How should this understanding of the gospel, peace with God, inform and transform how we interact with those around us? How should the message that we were once enemies, now we're friends, that we were once rebels, now we're redeemed, how should that impact how we interact with people around us. I'm asking. 
Redemptive community. Well done. That's part of our mission statement. That we're in the context of redemptive community. That redemptive community means redeemed people treating other people like redeemed people. Right? It's that, it's that idea of the gospel being lived out among one another. Acts chapter 2. What else? Be compassionate. Right? Like um, that... Um, What's his name? Brian. Brian read in the calling passage when Jesus talks about, um, when he's talking about loving your enemies, turning the other cheek. Guys, I'll be honest. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord now for 20 plus years, and I still want to wipe those verses out of my Bible. Like, I'm still like, yeah, I don't, I, that, you're going to read that passage again tomorrow, I think, for the daily reading. And what, what struck me as I read it and reread it was, like, I don't like most of what Jesus says there. Honestly. Because, because I'm still here. But, but I, know he's, I know he's right. So what else? Be quick to give the benefit of the doubt to each other. Very good. Awesome. Yeah, it, it, is, it is so hard for us. I'm going to ask you kind of a, a follow-up question that I don't want out loud answers to. Um, and then we're going to jump into to the passage today. So here's my follow-up. Who are the people? So here's what I want you to, as we're, as we're going through these, this passage today, and, and we're going to move through it fairly fast because there's a lot, we have a lot to cover. Who are the people who you struggle to live in peace with? So I want, I want you to just stop right now and think. So I, I, everybody just take a minute and do a mental exercise. Who are the people? It could be a people group. It could be an individual person or persons. But who are the people that you struggle to live at peace with? And I want you to bring those faces or those, those groups to mind. Because I think the Lord has some work. I know he has some work to do in my heart. And he did all throughout this week. And I believe he has some work to do in your heart as well. Because we all, as Brian so transparently prayed, we all have struggles with people. We all have biases. We all struggle to treat people the way Jesus treats us. And that's what Paul is going to tell us a little bit about today. So today what we're talking about is making the gospel real in being a people of peace. So when he transitions from Romans 1 through 11 to Romans 12 through 16, he started with how do you make the gospel real in how we live? That was Romans 12. How do you make the gospel real in our culture? That was the whole idea of politics and leaders and how do we come under people we don't agree with. We talked last week about how do you make the gospel real in our tolerance and just, just putting up with each other. And he's going to continue that point forward today and say, so how do we make this the gospel real in being a people of peace as we tolerate each other. And the, and the thought that's going to drive our whole conversation for the next 35 or 40 minutes is this thought. If, the, if peace with God is the message the gospel brings, how can we live more gospelly? How can we live more, how can we live in a way that displays the gospel as the peace-bringing thing it is, how can we live that out more? And he's going to show us three ways. First, you have to pursue the things that make for peace. The second thing is, you have to stop pleasing yourself. And then the third thing is, you have to um, confirm what the promise of God is in a life that's lived for him. So we're going to jump in. So turn from chapter 5 of Romans, where I left you, I think, to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to look at how do we live more gospelly? Well, first, we pursue the things that make for peace. So look at verse 13 of chapter 14. 
He says, therefore, let, not, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Sounds a lot like Jesus in, Rome, in, the, in our calling passage, Luke chapter 6. It is a command in the Greek, not a suggestion. He says, let us, so he's saying, so we would say it this way, stop passing judgment. He's not suggesting it, he's commanding it. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. Right? That, that we are to pursue the things that make for peace. So verse 14, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Now that terminology probably sounds familiar because John taught on this. I, he, Paul is using this example. Last week it was meat that was sacrificed to idols. He's just pulling that argument forward with the second part of this chapter. And he's saying, but guys, so, but, we, but we can look and go, you know, like food is not really an issue for us. Like as, as gospel Christians, what we eat or don't eat isn't necessarily, isn't a gospel issue. They, there were people in the church then that were making it a gospel issue. But guys, what are some things that our culture is making, and I mean our church culture, makes gospel issues? I'm not going to, we're going to, that's what really what this message is going to push us into, is what are the things, so when you hear the word eat or meat or, like don't, like think of the things that are your thing. Because in that culture, what it would have been was, if you were a Jewish convert, versus, you would be like, oh, I cannot believe that Gentile convert just ate that. Right? I can't, oh, there's no way they're saved. There, there's no way they're really a Christian. Now, what are the things that we look at people and go, oh, I cannot believe they fill in the blank. They cannot possibly be a Christian. We all have those things. And that's what he's going to painfully press into us. He, not me, he, Paul, is going to do that. Thank you, Paul. It says, um, by what you eat, do not destroy. Now, look at this, guys. Look at verse 15. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. I'm going to pick that up in a minute. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. He's saying, what you regard as good is Christ and the gospel. Don't let people talk bad about it by not living it out. For the kingdom, so the kingdom, the gospel kingdom is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, or, uh, um, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Is that what we're known for as Christians? Are we known for righteousness and joy and peace? Or are we known for don't do this, shouldn't do that, shouldn't vote this way, shouldn't be that person, shouldn't? Is that what we're known for as Christians? Whoever thus serves Christ is accept. Whoever thus, like in this way, serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. So look at verse fifteen. He's saying when we put a stumbling block, when we t- when we make our thing the thing. We are destroying the one for whom Christ died. And he repeats the thought in verse 20. He's saying when you put your thing ahead of the gospel thing, you are actually destroying the one whom, for whom Christ died because we're getting in the way of the gospel. If this is the moment that, that Christ wants to save this person and your bigotry is getting in the way of that, we are destroying that person is what Paul is saying. And yes, Paul did believe in the sovereignty of God. So you can take that up with him. Or do we, do we live more like verse 19? So then, let us pursue what makes for peace. 
and for mutual upbuilding. Guys, do your relationships, the way you interact with each other in your home, the way you interact with coworkers and classmates, the way you interact with the person who is serving you at a store or a Starbucks, the way that you interact with, um, the way you interact online, the way you text, the way you tweet, the way you email, is it, is it verses 15 and 20? Just has the potential of destroying the hearer? Or is it verse 19? Is it pursuing peace? Right? That's the question we have to ask. And ultimately, it all comes out of this idea of, has your thing become the thing? So whatever it is you feel like you're... Sta- but yeah, but Doug, I'm standing righteously for the word of God. Right? Has that thing, which is not a gospel thing, getting it gotten, gotten... Or maybe it's even just in how you're presenting it, even if it's a gospel thing. Because we can present the gospel in very unloving ways. Right? So has that, has, that, has that technique even become the thing for you? So look at your second talking points question. It says, do you accept others who are different? Do you accept style preferences that, are, that may not be your favorite? Do you love others who may not be like you? Get this, guys. We talked about this a few weeks ago when I was talking about politics, and, and John could have mentioned it again last week when he was talking about preferences. Um, we, it used to be that Romans 8 through 11 is what divided churches, all that theology, sovereignty of God, responsibility of man, all those things that are sort of, that we all went, we all went eh, we don't get it. It's there, but we don't get it. It's Romans 13, 14, and 15 that is dividing churches today. Right? And, and, and we'll come back. He's going to come back to that in a little bit because, because we are camping up around our preferences instead of around the gospel. And this is what, so Romans 14 and 15 make us, uncom- make us very uncomfortable because they strip away all of our external spirituality and moral religiosity and drive us back to a faith of heart and a passion to live like Christ. I'm going to read that again. Romans 14 and 15 make us uncomfortable. Here's, if, if you're uncomfortable with what you're hearing or what you're about to hear in the next few minutes, it's because, here, here's, here I would submit to you, it is because it is attacking your external spirituality, your idol, or your moral religiosity, the way you think all good Christians should live. And instead, he, what Paul is trying to do is drive us back to the simple like faith of the heart. What is your heart? Does your heart look like Christ? Are you living like Christ? So I'm not gonna, I don't want answers to this one, but I just, I'm going to stop and let you think about this. How open are you to pushing away your preferences so that we can love one another and not only accept or put up with, but embrace differences? When someone doesn't have the exact theology that you do, but it's not a gospel issue. When someone doesn't pray the way you might want them to pray, but it's not a gospel issue. How, how open are you to accepting that? You know, one of the things we've talked a lot about here at Cross Train is, is, and we talk about this at almost every one of our lead team meetings and our elder meetings, is, is we want to be a place that doesn't just, okay, I, I get that John is different than me, and he frustrates the snot out of me, but I guess I'll just put up with him. No, what, 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 I, what we want to cultivate is an attitude that says, I know that John is different than me, and he frustrates the snot out of me because of his difference, and I know I need John in my life. 
because the difference that is John and the difference that is Doug are going to rub up against each other and we're both going to end up looking more like Jesus. That's the church. But it's not where the church is going today in America. So let's keep going because we haven't even finished the first point yet. So now he's going to go on and he says, um, and he says everything, so I'm in verse um, 20, everything is indeed um, good, but, um, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, now what do you mean? The word faith there is just the word pistis. It's often translated belief. So he's saying, so what he means is he doesn't mean the faith you have in Christ. He means the faith the belief you have about this other issue, this other non-gospel central thing, he's like, keep that between you and the Lord. Absolutely. If you feel like the Holy Spirit has convicted you to, be, to do this certain thing and you feel and, it's, and it aligns with Scripture, then by all means do it. But don't impose that on other people is what he's saying. So by no means pass judgment on himself for, if he, for, he, for, for what he approves. But whatever has doubt, But whoever has doubts or condemns if he eats... Because of the eating, it is not a, the eating is not a faith. So he's saying, if you're sitting here and you're going, I don't know whether I should do X or Y, but I'm not really, I don't really think I should, but I'm going to anyway because I want to. He's saying, then you, then you really, that isn't the faith of the Holy Spirit. That's just Doug wanting to take over. Guys, it's very much the same argument that James makes in James chapter 4. He says, to him who knows the right thing to do and, to, and does not do it, to him it is sin. Not to everybody else. But to him, if you're convicted of something, absolutely follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But my problem is that I want to take my personal conviction and I want to impose it on Jesse. And say, Jesse, I'm this way, so you should be this way. Now, there are things in Scripture where that is true. And we'll get to those. But most of what I want to impose onto other people are just my preferences. And I think yours are too. And so, we, so Paul is trying to tell us, don't be that way. It's the scene, you're going to read it in Acts chapter 10. God is going to send Peter to the Gentiles and, and, and to the non-Jewish people. And to Peter, this would have been like a... <gasps> it, it, had been like, it had been like him saying to you, you know, you're going into downtown San Francisco. And I, or you're going to Syria. Or you're going to wherever you think your people group is that you don't want to see saved. And he's like, you're going to go there. So he gives him a dream and he, lays, he, he brings down this, this, this sheet that has a pig on it. Lots of other stuff too, but a pig. They don't eat pig. They, Jewish people still don't eat pig. Neither do Muslims. They don't understand the beauty of bacon. Right? Like bacon is a beautiful thing. That's part of why Jesus died. So we could be free in Christ and eat bacon. But, yeah, thank you. But, but think about, so, so that's the image he gets. But when you're reading that this week in your daily reading, don't get caught up in the food. What is, what would, what's on your sheet? Like, what is the sh- what's on your sheet that's lower down where God says, I have made this clean? And you're like, oh, there's no way. Those people are public schoolers. We can't have that. Right? Like, are they those homeschool freaks? Come on. I can't go to those people. Right? What is the thing that's on your sheet? That's what I'm hoping we will get out of this. So I think so many of us, we may, our secondary, our, our preferences have so, and I'm just going to use the word constipated, they've so constipated our faith. Like we are so backed up in our own little junk that we're not living, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, John chapter 8. We're living bound by these second and third and fourth and fifth tier issues that have nothing to do with Jesus and the gospel. And yet we're, we're, we're like we can't even, 
We can't even interact anymore because, because if, unless they think just this way, I don't know how to deal with these people. Man, there was nobody that thought the way Paul thought in the early church. How could they? There were no Christians. His whole thing was, I'm going to go engage them with the gospel, not with his secondary and tertiary things. And again, we're kind of getting ahead. So, so that brings us to our second point. So one, we have to pursue the things that lead to peace. We are, that lead to peace. We also have to, in, in light of that, that means another thing. We have to stop pleasing ourselves. So look at chapter 15, verse 1. Kylie read it. Kylie Peters read it. Still weird. Um, we, we, thank you, Jamie. It's my daughter. Her, she just got married. Her name's changed. Anyway. Um, who, who we, are, who we, um, we who are strong have an, I'm in verse, chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to, to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Again, a command. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Bam. For Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the reproach of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, though that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He's talking about like the things that were written about kingdom glory are, are why we are supposed to have our hope, because we realize this is not our kingdom. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God of the of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as, in the same manner as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. He's saying, stop trying to get your way. Because when we fight for our way, and it's, and it's not about Jesus, it, the biggest problem is it diminishes our gospel witness. When we do the thing that we talk, like I was talking about, when I do say, hey, I, I know John is different to me, I know his differences frustrate me, but I know I need him in my life, and so the only reason John and I would be friends is because we have this similar thing is that we both want to look more like Jesus. That is a gospel witness. When I go, well, I just want to be, the, the reason I'm with these people, the reason I have the, the, the home study that I have, the reason I, I go to the church I do, is because these people all look and act and think and vote and everything else just like me. There's no gospel witness there. Because the world can look in at that and go, of course you think that. Of course you all like to be together. You're all the same dude. He's saying, no, you have, to, you have to stop pleasing yourself, start doing good for your neighbor, even when you don't necessarily feel like it, right, that, that we have to, but guys, I have to acknowledge, you have to acknowledge that part of why we are this way, that we fight for our preferences, is because we like to win. You want to win. You want to be right, and you want to win, right, and, and if, because it feels good. It feels good to, to, you know, when you see a tweet you don't agree with, to just, like, blast the person, Right? And maybe even throw a Bible verse in there or two to just kind of go, yes, let me, let me show you, let me back that up. It feels really good. And oh, by the way, it's also why the logarithms of places like Twitter and Instagram are the way they are. Because they know that here's, here is what hooks us. Anger. Anger and fear are what hook us. And it's what keeps us on their platform. And they're not, they're all about keeping you on their platform so they can make money. Right? So we have to acknowledge that, that man, when we're, when we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm speaking truth out here on Facebook. What you're probably doing, what you, what you likely could be doing, is just feeling good about yourself because you're winning. Because you are, I am right, 
and I am turning the tables of the money changers. And we'll talk about that in a second, too. Man, we have this. I'm doing that a lot. We're getting a lot. Yeah, never mind. Here's the other thing. Here's the other reason we struggle. One, we like to win. Two, we think everybody should be like us. Because we think everybody thinks the way, like, we, like we think everybody, like, when, when, some, when, when we're looking at how somebody's acting, we, we have to, we just have to. We filter how we're observing them through our own filter. Well, for me to do this or this or this, I would have to be thinking ex- the same, this thing. So, of course, so is Alex. But, but Alex is a different brother. So he may not be thinking what I'm thinking at all. And so, but, but, I, but, but part of me might be going, yeah, but Alex, what you're doing ain't good, brother. So here's, so, and, and maybe sometimes admonish, edification, encouragement. I might need to speak words of love and grace and truth to Alex because I, because I really genuinely believe it's for his best. But I can also very quickly go, like be self-deceived into going, what I really want is for him to just get on board because, man, if he gets on board, it's way easier for me. If he just follows along, I don't have a problem. So just come on, man, just get on board, right? So we have to acknowledge that there's a huge part of why we promote truth in a way that maybe isn't as loving as it ought to be is because we just want, if, if, man, if you know what, guys, if everybody just thought the way I thought, the world would be a better place, right? Like we all think that somewhere inside of us, and it and it frankly isn't very healthy. Now here's the most, damning, the most damning part, and I'm using that word on purpose. Not only has that happened individually, but it's, and it's, this started way before COVID, but COVID just exasperated it. This idea of, of tribing up has just, not only has the church in America become, not, it's, it's a place where, where really the people that are going to feel welcome in church are the people that are already Christians. Well, that's been true in America for probably 40 years. But here's what's new. They're already Christians, and they're, on my, they're in my tribe. They ha- they, they, their, their voter registration card has the same letter on it that mine does. The way they educate their children has the same, is, the same way mine, is the same way I educate my children. The kind of movies they watch are the same movies I watch. Their view on alcohol is the same as my view on alcohol. And, and the minute you find out that, that, that they're, their, their view of, of, of teaching the word, their view of the authority of scripture, their view of um, how you pray, their view, and the minute you start to realize that, wait a minute, there's something different about what they think than what I think. What, what, here's, what, here's what our response has become. And COVID has exasperated this. I'm going to leave that tribe. I'm going to go find my tribe somewhere else, and I'm going to gather with them. Again, that's a huge reason social media works, because you know what social media does? It makes it really easy for you to find your tribe. Because all those logarithms start pushing forward the people that think just the way you think. And so all of a sudden you're like, yeah, these are my people. They're not your people. The, if you've been here any length of time, this is your people. And if, you've, and if this is your first day here, we invite you into being this being your people. But, but embrace the glorious mess. There are people here that will frustrate you. Chief among sinners. Right here. Just Deal. And, and embrace. That would be my advice to you. So I want to show you an image that helps us like, understand this is part of what's going on in the church. It's called um, theological triage, and I'm just going to spend a minute or two pointing it out, so there, there should be an image with a triangle on it. Oh, that's a bummer. It must not have transferred over somehow. That's okay. So the idea about, so, so imagine a triangle, 
At the top of the triangle are what they call first-tier issues. I didn't make this up, but guys way smarter than me in theology, they, they talk about this. First-tier issues would be things like um, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the Trinity. Things like, um, let me see, I think I wrote, I wrote down a few of them. Um, things like the five solas. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, um, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. Those are the top tier issues. That's the gospel. Those are gospel things. Then there's a, then there's a second box. There are second tier issues. And these are things that we might not, we might not agree on, and, and maybe they would be at a level that, are so un, that, that would be so uncomfortable for us that we might not be able to worship together. Here's a great example of a second tier issue that might be hard for people. Baptist, your view of ecclesiology. Your view of the church. Are you an elder-led church? Are you a deacon-led church? Are you a, are you a senior pastor with a um, CEO kind of model, the Moses model of church? Are you, like those kinds of things. Or, or are you, how you baptize then? So you say, okay, are we, um, are we baptizing infants? Are we, are we only baptizing professing believers? That is not a gospel issue. I know that sounds weird, but it's not a gospel issue because Jesus didn't say, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved and get baptized as a baby. Or, and don't baptize babies. So it's not a gospel issue. But, 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 get, so, but I might be like, yeah, but you know, this is something that just in my, con- like, I, I can't be a part of this or that because of that particular thing. Now, there's not a lot of, there's a lot of agreement, well, hopefully, there's a lot of agreement, should be a lot of agreement on first tier issues, the gospel. The second and third tier and, and, and beyond that, there's a whole lot of, some people would say, wait a minute, baptism ought to be down lower, it's not that big a deal. Others would say it ought to be moved up higher. I'm just bringing up examples. Right? So, but the idea is we don't want to divide over what are called second and third tier issues. So, so other second tier issues might be things like um, our view of the Lord's Supper. Where it starts to really get dicey is when we jump into like the lower, the third tier issues. And this is what churches are dividing over. Third tier issues would be things like specific ways that you pray or not, right? Third tier issues might be things like, um, like, like do, you, do you only ever teach expositorily or do you sometimes do a topical series? Third tier issues might be things like, um, to even make it more personal and less churchy, um, I wrote down a few things like, um, like freedom issues. Do you believe that someone could, could have a glass of wine with dinner or Man, any, 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 alcohol, like any alcohol at all is enough is reason to be kicked out of the church. That would be a third-tier issue. Third-tier issue might be something like um, the style of music that you like at church. I, we should only do hymns. We shouldn't have drums. We, those kinds of things. A third-tier issue might be uh, like how should we dress. I mentioned like another one. What movies are acceptable or not? Right? Those, are all, those, are, those are not gospel issues. I mentioned this one a couple times. How about education? How you choose to educate your kids. There was a time, shamefully, in our church's existence where we had people, I heard about it, and so I addressed it, and they left, who were saying things like, this was several years ago, there were probably people you don't even know, who were saying things like, unless you homeschool your children, you're not really a Christian, you're not really, because you're not really discipling your kids. That is not a gospel-y thing to say. Right? So if we're talking about how do we live more gospelly, we don't say things like that. Guys, y- yes, it is easier to f- camp up around the tribe that fits you. It is. It's why people are doing it. It's like, th- these are my people I feel comfortable. But it's not the gospel. And it's not what the gospel is about. It's not biblical. It's not what Paul is telling us to do. That, that our likeness, the more alike we are, the less 
effective our witness, honestly. God is a God of diversity, right? Tribe, every tribe and tongue and nation will be in heaven. God is a God, like God is a God of variety. And, and what we have to get better at is saying, are the things that we're mad about really gospel Christ things, or are they just my thing? Because if it's just my thing, then maybe there's room for me to grow. So look at your last talking points question, and the last point goes quickly, and we'll finish up. It says, what are some things that you have changed your opinion about as you've matured? I'll give you a great example for us. I was raised up, I got saved in my 20s. I was raised up by a man I respect dearly. But at the time that I was raised up spiritually under him for 12, for 14 years, he was massively anti-Halloween. John used this as an example last week. He was massively anti-Halloween. So guess what our family was? Massively anti-Halloween. To the point where, and I say this with great shame, where my daughters would sometimes, we'd drive our neighborhood and people would have Halloween decorations. And that was back when they weren't that, they were just getting, people were just starting to decorate their house for Halloween. And they would look and they would go, oh, those people must not be Christians. And I'd say, why? They'd say, well, because they celebrate Halloween. No, they, they didn't, they weren't born with that. I gave that to them, shamefully. That is not a gospel thing. Christmas trees are not, are not a gospel thing. Easter dresses are not, are not a gospel thing. But guys, church, like churches blow up over stuff like this. It's crazy because it's such a bad witness. I mean, that's ultimately what it's about. It is not about keeping people. Or, it's about what, what kind of witness are we giving to a world when, when we can say, when we can't get busy about the mission because we're too busy arguing about this minutia, right? Like that, like that just, it just grieves my soul because I've been a part of that. But as I've matured, some of that, I'm like, yeah, wait a minute. As the Lord has matured me, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I, and I repent. What kinds of th- now, but here's the question I want you to think about. What kinds of things might you still need to grow in in a desire to not put your thing over the thing, which is the gospel? So what, what kinds of areas right now, because this is so critical in our current moment, cultural moment. Right? When, when people don't want to hear the gospel, they don't want to hear about Jesus anymore because they're they're. I'll just say it, they're connecting Christians to Sean Hannity. Or they're connecting Christians to Tucker Carlson. And they're saying, so, so, so you walk up to them, and you may or may not be a fan of theirs. I don't care. My point is, when you walk up and you say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, I'd love to tell you about the hope I have in Christ. They're not thinking Jesus. They're not thinking the chosen. They're thinking Tucker Carlson. And they're going, I heard that dude, and I want no part of that. Now, some of you are sitting here, and you are massively offended that I just said what I said about Tucker. You've got a problem. I'm just going to say it. This is what this whole message is about. It's not about Tucker or Sean or whoever the dudes are on CNN. Or who, it's not about any of that. Guys, it's about do, if we're making those things more important than Jesus, you've got a problem. And I'd love to talk to you about that. Like I would not, just to say, so let's talk about how that's working for you. Okay, and that brings us to our last point. 
And it does go quickly. So we need to confirm the promise. So how do we live more gospelly? Well, we pursue the things that make for peace. We stop pleasing ourselves, and we, cons- we confirm the promise. And, what he, and where he lands this plane, where Paul lands this plane is this. He says, for I tell you, in verse 9, or verse 8, he says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So he's, gonna, he's listing, basically, in verses 8, I'm just for the interest of time, in 8 through 12, he's saying, through things like the Psalms, through Deuteronomy, and through Isaiah, God is showing us that the, the gospel has always been for all people at all times. That's, that's what verses 8 through 12 are saying. And then he wraps the whole point up, and we land the plane with this. And so he says, so in light of all of this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Guys, do you get that? Our believing leads to joy. Our, our believing is joy and peace. And that ultimately leads to hope. Guys, how do we live more gospelly? We live more gospelly by going, are those things evidenced in our lives? Is the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in your life? As the music team comes up and we get ready to respond in our time of communion, Lord, I, 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 I just ask you to, to, to ask yourself, what defines me more in how I'm living? I'm not talking about morality. I'm not talking about behavior. I'm talking about fruit. Do things like anger and fear and frustration define you, or do things like love, joy, peace? It's the second one, our topic today, peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do those things define you? Because those are, we don't, we don't create those things. The fruit of the Spirit does. So as believers, those things should just be oozing out of us. My problem is my flesh gets in the way. It's like my flesh blocks my spiritual pores. So then I just end up like this giant pimple on the yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, Jeff. On the on the face of Christianity, like I'm like I'm like because I am getting in the way of just letting the Spirit flow through me, and so so as he's saying, so so let so may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, guys. That's our witness in a world that is so devoid of peace. In a world that is so devoid of hope and love and joy. If not you bringing those things to the world by the power of the Spirit. If not you, who? And if not now, when? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the truth that the gospel is peace with God. And that as those who have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. It is a product of your indwelling spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Lord, I do pray for for your word to continue to do its work in our lives today, tonight, tomorrow, as as, as we open up our prayers Instagram feed, as we engage with the people at work or at school, as we are interacting with the person at the coffee shop, that, that, this, that, that in that moment your Holy Spirit would say, are you going to make your thing the thing or are you going to make me the thing? 
Are you going to make Jesus Christ the one true God? Are you going to make him exalted in this moment and how you interact with these people and how you post and how you think and how you feel and what you spend your time doing? But you, you, have, you came here to give us peace. I, I pray right now that, that in this moment, you would reveal to each of us what are the, th- big or small, it could, it could seem so trivial to us, Lord, right now that we're almost embarrassed to admit it, but what is the thing that is keeping us from peace? Like, what would you have to do? Lord, reveal to my heart right now, what would you have to do for me to really live in the peace of God? And then let me remember that there is nothing left to be done. There's nothing that the cross of Christ didn't do. Where we started in Romans 5, that because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So those things that you bring to mind, Lord, let us give them to you and let you do the work on the cross that you've already completed but we just keep holding on to. And Lord, I do pray for those that are not yet yours. We pray that, that, that if today be the day of their salvation, that they would not harden their heart, but that they, would, that they would step up, that they would go to the back of the room during the time of response, and that they would, um, they would seek out one of the leaders who could just explain, answer their questions if they've got them, who could explain more about who Jesus is and what he's done to them. We would celebrate those ushered into the family today. Not because of anything we've done, not because of the music or the prayer time or um, uh, uh, the message, but because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to the hearts of the people who you call. That you might conform us into your image. And ultimately, that's what this is about. All of this is about how do we live looking more like Jesus Christ? And the answer is by the power of the Spirit. Spirit, be present in this place and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.